the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The airing of this program by this station is not an endorsement or recommendation by the station of the products or services discussed in the program. The station does not guarantee the results of any investments made by a listener to this program. Josh Pick is the Chief Investment Advisor with Aptus Wealth Management, a state-registered investment advisory firm. This program is sponsored by Aptus Wealth Management. Exposure to ideas and financial vehicles discussed should not be considered investment advice or recommendation to buy or sell financial vehicles. This information should not be considered tax or legal advice. Individuals should consult with professionals to see if any ideas expressed would fit their specific situation. Past performance is not a guarantee of future results. Securities can fluctuate and when redeemed may be more or less than when originally invested. Thanks for joining us on the Aptus Retirement Blueprint Radio Show. Glad to have you along. Bruce Hooley, Josh Pick with you. And for the next half hour, we will be discussing how to grow your nest egg, arrive at financial independence uh, as you approach retirement. Aptus located in Lewis Center, just off Route 750, not far from the 23270 interchange. They offer you the opportunity for a free, no-obligation consultation to talk about retirement with them discuss your approach to investing, what you've done, their approach to investing, and maybe you'll reach the same conclusion my wife and I did, and that is that Aptus made perfect sense for us to manage and grow our retirement. Set up your consultation by calling their office, 614-917-1040, 614-917-1040, or you can make your appointment online at Aptus Wealth, A-P-T-U-S, aptuswealth.com. And I've seen stories recently, Josh, where uh, retirees who are already in the midst of retirement talked about uh, not understanding that they would have been in better position if they had vehicles that generated income for them while they were in retirement. Um, is that what people mean when they talk about active income from retirement as opposed to passive income from retirement, where would passive income just be withdrawing from a nest egg. I'm not sure I have that definition of active versus passive correct. Yeah, and we hear passive income so often, you know, get a side hustle, passive income, oh, okay, get, okay. get rental property, get sure. passive income, whatever the passive is. I mean, by definition, active income is the income that you make from working, and passive income is the income that you make while you're not working. And I think Warren Buffett said that if you can't figure out a way to make money while you're sleeping, then you'll work for the rest of your life, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but you know, what I see, and I'm probably going to give a much longer answer than you want to this, but what I see is when people invest their money in whatever vehicle they're investing in, people are ignoring the income generation and they're turning into almost gamblers. Um, so insert NFT. Let's use an NFT. We talked about that last week. Yeah, yeah. Or let's insert, you know, investing in wine. You'll hear people that I'm investing in wine or I'm investing in artwork. Art, art's hot now. Okay. And this is all great. Uh, But let me draw a parallel to something that I think everybody can understand that will clearly define the difference between what I deem to be investing and what I deem to be more of a gamble. You can, anybody can go buy real estate and that's a very hot topic. And there's kind of two ways that you can make money in real estate. Way number one is I go buy an apartment complex or a home and I did the math and I calculated that day one after I buy this place, I'm going to put a renter in place and I'm going to cash flow positive, meaning I'm going to make money net of all of my expenses from day one. 
And that means that I have passive income. I am generating money right out of the gate. Now, the advantage of that is regardless of whether the house goes up or goes down, as long as inflation keeps on climbing and it's in a good neighborhood, my rents will increase, which means I will continue to make more and more passive income over time, Mm -hmm. which should be the allure of investing in real estate. However, there are plenty of people that uh, do what I call prospecting real estate, which is, you see that piece of dirt over there? I know Urban Sprawl is going to reach that at some point. I can get it cheap. And at some point, somebody's going to give me millions of dollars for that dirt because it's right by this overpass or whatever the logic is. Yeah. But the problem with that is while you might get a big pop down the line, you have carrying costs of the real estate. It's actually costing you money to own that investment till the day you sell it. And then you get this big windfall. Now, there's no you know pro or you can't argue that one's better than the other necessarily because I'm sure you can think of somebody who's done the latter and made a big pop. I sure can. Right? However, let's kind of correlate that back to retirement. Well, typically, those types of properties are either in an area where somebody goes, I don't believe you, because if if everybody believed everything you're saying, the property would already be worth a lot of money, right? So you're kind of going against the grain. Well, let's correlate that back to investing in the market. Mm -hmm. So there's different types of stocks you can buy. You can buy the the Flyers, the NVIDIAs, the Teslas of the world that have earned a tremendous amount of money this year. But there's been a tremendous amount of volatility. I wouldn't say that that's a predictable income stream at all because they don't pay dividends. You're just buying it and waiting for it to go up and then hopefully selling it for more than you paid for it. But what are you going to do then? Okay, so you sold it. You're going to go and try and find the next one or what are you going to invest in? What are you going to do to generate income? Are you just going to sell some of it, live off of that and hope that you don't bleed it out too quickly? Um, That's a challenge. That isn't predictable. It's exciting. It's the opportunity to get, quote, rich overnight, which is what everybody's trying to do these days. But remember what your purpose was. Your purpose was, I'm working in a job to accrue a nest egg so that that nest egg takes care of me for the rest of my life. Well, the opposite of that would be investing in stocks that pay dividends. So I get to live off the dividends. Think of it as the cash flow from that renter. Mm -hmm. And then as the stock appreciates, that dividend income also appreciates, and I win over time. One is much more predictable than the other. I think you know, personally, you should have some of both, but it depends on where you are in life. And I think it's so important that you come up with a plan that's going to generate that passive income for you. And it seems like we've just forgotten all about it. Yeah. And having a plan is uh, better done when you sit down and really target, you know, the logic behind what the plan is, why you're doing it, understanding the plan. That's what my wife and I gained from our consultation with Josh. You get a free consultation with them as well. Find out if you are a match for them, if their investing philosophy dovetails with your own. 614-917-1040 as a way to approach that uh, appointment. You can also make it online at their website, AptusWealth, A-P-T-U-S, AptusWealth.com. This is kind of an aside, but when you talk about passive income, um, I expected there to be a huge hit in commercial real estate after the pandemic. I see some numbers here that it's bad in Chicago, bad in major cities. We hear all the time people are ramping back up or they're going to go back to work five days a week. Or there's some people that say managers don't want people back to work five days a week. I'm sure you have your eyes on various mutual funds that are heavy into commercial real estate. I think it's doing pretty well here in central Ohio, but you're obviously invested in vehicles far beyond central Ohio. Is there a gen, uh, a general assessment of commercial real estate, uh, and I suppose if it's down, then there'd be people who are contrarian investors who would look at it and say, well, I'm going to buy it while it's low, and eventually it's going to go back up. Yeah, you see these ebbs and flows constantly throughout history, and and the short answer is 
certain pockets react much differently than other pockets. Uh, for example, you said in central Ohio, commercial real estate really hasn't taken the hit that it has in some areas. Um, and, you know, not to get a political lean, but if you look at the areas that have been hit the hardest uh, and then just look at the color uh, of what those areas are. Yeah, those are red cities, yeah. It, it, I mean, there's a lot Most of... Most cities are red. I mean, that's just kind of a general factor. Yeah, but Chicago isn't. Chicago uh, is not. New York, yeah. Yeah, yeah so yeah. really... I'm sorry, I meant blue. I didn't yeah, mean blue, red. Yeah. I didn't so mean blue. I meant blue. what we're finding is that, again, I'm always follow the money. If you're a corporation looking to open an office, COVID has forced you into working remote. Mm-hmm. If everybody's working remote and you need to have a corporate office, why would you have your corporate office in a state with the highest pro- the highest property in income taxes? Yeah. It wouldn't make any sense. You can pick anywhere. Might as well pick somewhere like Nevada that doesn't have taxes. Sure. Right? Um, but you know what we look for is what is the property, what is the forecast for that property, and what does the area look like? So we don't necessarily have to say we're investing in real estate nationwide. We can invest in pockets of not just the area, but also what that real estate does. So for example, and I'm not suggesting that everybody runs out and starts investing in long-term care facilities. However, a very easy thing that you would maybe pay attention to and look at is we have this generation called the baby boomers that are turning of age every single day. Mm -hmm. Well, we know that there's a 50-50 shot of you and I needing some sort of help in the future in the way of long-term care. That's just the statistics. So if you know that this huge, giant piece of the population is going to be re- reaching that age, and that is an under, uh, underfunded or uh, under-capacitied uh, area, that might be an area that you want to invest in. Not something you want to put all your money into, but something that you definitely want to take a peek at. 614-917-1040 to set up your consultation. You can set it up online. Their website at Aptus is A-P-T-U-S, aptuswealth.com. They're located physically in Lewis Center. It's just off Route 750. They service a lot of clients outside the area. So that's a takeaway from the pandemic that wasn't all bad. The Zoom calls, which we all now know how to do. Aptus takes advantage of that. So if you like what you hear and you'd like to have that consulta- consultation remotely, it's possible, but for local clients, we'd like to have you in the office, 614-917-1040, right off Route 750. Okay, so we talk a lot about volatility, and we always kind of refer back to this is the best sense or the worst sense or whatever. So there's a lot of historical data out there about how markets have reacted and when recessions happen and when they don't and when economies prosper and when they don't. And I'm just kind of wondering, um, because we have so many different uh, kind of predictions about what's going to happen right now, is there one kind of investment vehicle that is performing well for everyone? Not that you would uh, put everyone's assets in it to the exclusivity of others, but I just kind of wonder if there is one particular place that's doing well now, or is that driven by whether you are a retiree or whether you are very close to being a retiree? You know, it's per individual, of course. However, um, I would say if there's one area of the financial solution economy that we're seeing grow the most it's this concept of hedged equity okay and i'm using you know people call it different things i'm using a broad brush stroke of hedged equity and that can uh, come across in a myriad of different ways but essentially at its core what hedged equity means is i am hedging against loss to some capacity and most people are very surprised when i tell them just how specific you can be about that now, any time that you're giving up some downside, you're obviously going to give up some upside. You can't have your cake and eat it, too. you got to have a little bit of both. And let me say that in general, over a long period of time, you would be better off just being out in the market. But we have talked many, many times uh, on this show about how, for some people, that's just not what they want to do. It's not who they are. It's not what they can tolerate. Yeah, and two, like if you're uh, 
63, you don't want to have everything in, in growth stocks. And here think. we are in an environment where bonds aren't doing that well. So you're saying, you know, let's look at last year, for example, not including dividends. The S&P 500 was down roughly 20%. The bond index or the aggregate bond index was down roughly 13 So you said, well, hey, I'm a safe investor. So I went 50-50 and you were still down in the high teens. So <laughs> thanks. I yeah. really appreciate you hedging all of my <laughs> yeah. risk. When in reality, you could have played the game this way. And we can talk about, you know, different parts and pieces and different options that are available here. But you can quite literally say, I would like to have the first 10% of the market drop not on me. So if the market goes down 10%, I don't lose any money until it goes down beyond 10%. Or how about 20? Or how about 30? Or how about 40? Or how about if it goes down, I don't want to participate at all in it. Now, obviously, the more risk reduction you have, the less upside potential you have. But sure. I'll give you an example. For some people, not for all, but if you said if the S&P 500 goes up and you're capped at 12%, and I don't know that this is actually an individual so that's contract. that's the gain you would get, no that's more the gain than 12. you would get. So if it goes up 20, you only got 12. If it goes up 6, you get 6. You're just capped at 12. But if it goes down, until it goes down 20%, you don't lose a nickel. That might be just the training wheels, if you will, to get your kid yeah. comfortable enough to get on the bike, right? Uh, now, I'm not suggesting you do that with all of your money, but it's very shocking to people that you can be that specific. Now, there are a bunch of other things that have, and these are not new concepts, but they're coming out with new solutions from different companies all the time that are big players in the industry. So this isn't like, you know, a bunch of people in their basement coming up with really cool ideas that aren't going to come to fruition. Um, these are also liquid. So some of the arguments that I hear is I understand that I can protect my money, but I got to lock it up forever. Yeah. All right. I talked to my insurance agent. He had this really cool idea, but I got to lock it up forever. You don't have to lock it up forever. These are one year deals in most cases, one to two year deals. So you're in and out. And even though they're one year deals, you only have to wait around for one year to get all the guarantees I'm talking about. But you can get out before that if you want. So if the market goes down 2%, you don't get the protections of that 10 or 20% protection. But if you needed the money, you could still just take it and run. So it's completely liquid. Now, there are other options that are longer duration that usually the only reason we would go for a longer duration is for some ancillary benefit. For example, if I'm going to give you my money, we've been talking about inverted yield curve, not giving you any money, mm -hmm. right? But there are still some companies out there that recognize the value of you giving them your money. If you said, if I lock my money up for the next 10 years and you'll give me a 10% bonus on my money to play the same game I just said, well, all right, well, now I'm listening. That might yeah. be a value yeah. to me. Uh but I'm not going to just lock my money up for 10 years at the same rates I just said just because you told me to. So when we were talking earlier about what are the available things out there, what looks good, what looks bad, um, I think the big takeaway is knowing what your choices are and then figuring out how to combine the best choices of the time into the solution that fits you rather than saying, here's the best thing for everybody, round peg, square hole. Right? Yeah, and uh, you know, true confession, uh, this kind of an option, a hedged equity product, was something I didn't know existed, and it was something that was very attractive to uh, my wife and I, given where we are in proximity to retirement. We wouldn't have found out about it if we didn't sit for our free consultation with Josh and the Aptus team. You can do that, 614-917-1040, 614-917-1040 to set that appointment up. And you can also make your appointment online at Aptus Wealth, A-P-T-U-S, aptuswealth.com. So I can imagine there are some people out there going, Wow, I didn't know you could do that, uh, but what's in it for the people who actually have my money? How can I get protected from market losses? Because I know I know that 
they're not going to insulate me from a risk that they're not taking. So how does the uh, the house, if you will, win on something like that? Yeah, it's actually a lot simpler than you think. Um, now, the instruments that they use might sound a little complicated, but I'll explain them in a very simple mm-hmm. fashion. So you've probably heard of the concept of options. Mm-hmm. And options are just simply, uh, I'll use my father-in-law's example. So he's a farmer, he's been a farmer his whole life, and he plants a field. And when he plants a field, he goes, I'm going to plant corn in this field because corn's currently at X dollars per bushel. Mm -hmm. But if it goes down to this price, it wasn't even worth me planting the field. So he goes to the grain mill and he says, hey, how much will you charge me to agree to buy 500 bushels of corn off of me for the current price? And they say, give me 2,000 bucks. And no matter what happens to corn, I'll buy it off of you for that price. And he goes, okay, well, now at least I know what I'm making and I know what my outlay is. Now, if the price of corn goes up, I promise you my father-in-law is going to take that little slip that says he can make him buy it for this price. He's going to rip it up, throw it in the trash, and forget he ever he ever did it. But if it goes down, he's going to, that's called put, he's going to put it to the grain mill and say, eh, eh, yeah. you told me you'd buy it for this, right? Well, similarly, in the financial markets, this type of mechanism is happening all the time. People are betting on, is the market going to go up? Is it going to go down? Is this stock going to go up? Is it going to go down? So what these companies are doing is essentially this. They're taking your money and they're saying, all right. What kind of budget do we need to have to be able to guarantee that if the market goes down by X, we have insulated ourselves? How much upside can we give them? And then let's do all of that, making sure that we get our 1% fee or whatever Mm -hmm. they decide to calculate. Mm -hmm. So it's calculated from the very beginning. I promise you they're making money, but the beautiful part is the numbers that they give you are net of all of that. So you don't really care how they're making money. Insurance companies do this all the time. And insurance companies do the calculation the exact same way. They just go out to the same places that you can go directly to if you want. The only benefit to going to an insurance company with the same type of approach is the insurance company has some ancillary benefits that may be beneficial to you. So, for example, if you had money that wasn't in an IRA, this is just money that you you got in your savings account right Mm -hmm. now, and you said, I want to invest this, all the gains inside of an insurance vehicle grow tax-deferred until you use them. So if you're in a high income tax bracket, there's a benefit to not paying taxes on it today. Whereas if you put it in the other version, you get taxed on it. The other benefit would be, well, what if I, my, my time here gets cut short Mm -hmm. An insurance company might provide you an enhanced death benefit. Uh, What if uh, I want income off of this? They might provide you an enhanced income benefit to guarantee income for you for the rest of your life. If none of those benefits are any value or any value to you, don't go there. But if they are of value to you, the insurance company will also require, typically, that you tie up the money for at least a period of time, usually between three and 10 years, and you get to pick. Well, if I'm going to tie my money up for 10 years, you're going to need to give me some pretty good benefits because I don't have to, so you better tell me what they are. And sometimes you'll get huge bonuses, you'll get income benefits, et cetera. So I think this circles us back to what is the best product? It all depends. Uh, You had said, you know, spoiler alert, I I got involved in some of these things. Um, but I think it's important to note, not that I'm going to give your situation away, but we certainly didn't put all of your money in any one of these no, things. No. You have an amalgam of all of yeah. them that work in concert to achieve what you want to do. Yeah, absolutely. It's a, it's a way to balance risk while reducing risk. That's how I viewed it. I'm, I'm not trying to put words in Josh's mouth, but that's how we viewed it is that we can uh, split it up um, and not do everything, as he said, in uh, just one of these, but split it up and, uh, you know, we felt like protect our ourselves, but also, uh, you know, be able to participate in some of the gains. 
overall, I would say it was just a peace of mind feeling that I felt like a lot more educated, a lot more prepared, a lot more protected. Uh, and when you're protected and retirement is, you know, on the horizon, but not around the corner, uh, that, that peace of mind to me was invaluable. I think you could gain it too by sitting down, having that consultation with Josh and the team. 614-917-1040 if you'd like to set up your no-obligation consultation at Aptus Wealth Management. Visit their office in Lewis Center for that appointment, 614-917-1040. And their Aptus address on the web is aptusaptuswealth.com. So I don't want to get too into the weeds on this, but in the example you gave of your father-in-law, he goes to the granary and he pays them $2,000 for uh, the promise that they'll pay him $5 for his corn, $5 a bushel for his corn. And then you say corn goes up above $5, and so uh, he's going to tear up the option and he's going to sell it for whatever the market rate is. Why would the granary not go to him and say, no, we're not going to pay you seven fifty for it. We've got an agreement to buy it for you for 5 Yeah, well, from the grain's perspective, uh, the reason they're okay with it is because they're paying that for everybody else's grain. And they made $2,000 for nothing. Oh, right. I forgot about the 2000 in their pocket. Right. So okay. it's a win. And you can actually do this on stocks, by the way. So you could say, I have a stock that I don't think is going to go down. But you think it's going to go down. So I say, all right, I'll sell you the option to buy the stock. It's currently worth 20 bucks. I'll sell you the option to buy it at 10 bucks. If it goes down to 10 bucks, well, then you bought my stock for X, right? But if it doesn't go down... Well, I sold you an option. I made money on that mm-hmm. that price, right? So, you know, there, that's another way where you can increase yield on your stocks. Now, the downside of that is if you do it what we call in our business, and not getting too deep in the weeds, but if we do it in our business, which which is what called is what is called selling an option naked or non covered, it means I don't actually own the stock. So now I'm selling you the option to buy a stock at a certain price that I don't even own. So if you exercise that, well, darn it, now i got to go buy the stock yeah. and i got to sell it to you, and now I, I lose even more. And there's almost unlimited loss there. So it's important as you're playing these games to do one of two things. Either you better know exactly what you're doing or you better employ a company that knows exactly what they're doing. Because the good news is, and people get very scared about options, and we're certainly not options traders, but in certain times of the economy, there are vehicles that utilize options that can do very, very good things for you and increase your yield, decrease your risk, et cetera. It's just, how do I play in that space? So I'm very uh, uninformed, not savvy on this at all, but some of this, like people betting, which whatever, on the result of something that's going to happen down the road, feels to me like this is what happens with commodities. Am I right on that Mm -hmm. or wrong? Exactly right. Yeah, the options trading, actually the Chicago Board of Options started with, Commodities. So think of, you know, the price of corn, the price of pork, the price of beef, the price of everything. And that still exists today. And and while I said uh, several months ago, I went to the New York Stock Exchange and it's all run by computers. One of the places that is still very much the old school way is the Chicago Board of Trade. I mean, it is still people running around with tickets and it's crazy madness in there. It's very exciting to be there. But um, I want to convey just one more time as people are when you say the word option, it, it, it. Usually, if you know what it is, it strikes a feeling in people where they go, oh, sounds risky. That's crazy. And it is. I'm not saying that it's not. We certainly do not buy and sell options, and we are not options trader. That that is a very, very risky thing to do. However, you can utilize options for their intended purpose, not for the get-rich-quick scheme purpose, but for their intended purpose to help hedge your positions against loss. 
And that's the only way that we use them is either increasing yield through some income by using positions we already have or by covering positions uh, that we already have. Yeah, we started this conversation by talking about hedged equity products. And uh, honestly, uh, that's a name where I was kind of like, okay, what are we going to talk about hedged equity products? And then as we were talking about it, I'm like, oh, that's what I have. And so, you know, Josh and his team do a really good job of explaining things in a way that you can understand them. And I would say for me, uh, I needed to understand something before I could have confidence in executing it. Uh, We gained that understanding through our consultation with them. That's why we became clients. I'd highly recommend you do the same. You're not obligated to become a client, uh, but, you know, I would tend to think you'd want as much good information as you can get it, particularly when there's no obligation on your part or on theirs. You can set that consultation up by calling Aptus at 614-917-1040. You can make your appointment via the web. Their web address is Aptus Wealth, A-P-T-U-S, aptuswealth.com. Josh joins me every Monday, 1235 p.m., on the Bruce Hooley Show, 98.9 The Answer. Those shows are archived on our site and on Josh's. They're located in Lewis Center, just off Route 750. It's not far from 23 and 270. The show re-airs tomorrow at noon. If you miss something you want to hear again, that's when to hear it. Josh, we'll see you again next week. You as well. Thanks, Bruce. It's great to have you with us on the Aptus Retirement Blueprint Radio Show. I'm Bruce Hooley, along with Josh Pick of Aptus Wealth Management. We appreciate your time. You're investing your time to listen to the show, hopefully toward a goal of arriving at retirement with financial peace of mind. That's what they specialize in at Aptus Wealth Management. Their firm is located in Lewis Center, just off Route 750. It is not far from 23 and 270, and they are dedicated to helping you come up with an investment plan, a blueprint, if you will, to arrive at financial independence with peace of mind. My wife and I have gained that as Aptus clients, and I believe you would do the same. So set up your free consultation with no obligation at all by calling their office at 614-917-1040, Aptus Wealth, A-P-T-U-S. AptusWealth.com is their website. And so much, Josh, of gaining peace of mind in retirement is having investments that pay the kind of dividends and returns that you're looking for. But Retirement is one of those things that I think is a real worry of a lot of people. In fact, I would say most people, because it's one of the things in life that if you get it wrong, once you're in the midst of it, it's, I don't want to say impossible, but very difficult to then get right. Getting it right is largely predicated upon making the right decisions in the years, decades, multiple decades leading up to it. Yeah, you know, I saw uh, something on a – remember the old Sky Mall catalog mm-hmm. that was on flights? Sure. I, I saw a little uh, ad in one of those a uh, long time ago. This was probably 25 years ago where it said that how you decide to, li- how you decide to live the first 40 years of your life gets, dictates how you get to live the next 40 years of your life. Now, in this, it was selling, I think, like an exercise bike or sure. something, right? Sure, But I think that that same type of approach applies to finance and – uh, you know, I can't tell you how many times, but it's been thousands of times that I've spoken with people and they all say the same thing. I don't want to be a Walmart greeter mm-hmm. when I'm 80, right? <laughs> For whatever reason, sure. like, like Walmart's the only store that hires 80 yeah. year olds. But nevertheless, the concept is if I get this wrong, I'm going to have to go do some form of labor that sounds abysmal to yeah. me. I don't want to do something I don't want to do, whether it's working or working at something I don't want to do. Now, I would say fortunately for 
a lot of those people that are just inherently warriors, and we all know some of these people, those uh, the folks that have a problem for every solution. Mm-hmm. Like you could tell them, you know, whatever you tell them, you won the lottery. Well, think of the taxes, yeah. Yeah, right? right? They they have everything. <laughs> right. um, you know, you can't necessarily help everybody, but if you don't fall into that gloom and doom category for everything, and you just have what you believe to be le- legitimate worries, and if you look at today, I mean, as we're sitting here today, I believe, and you're the political guy, but I believe. The last president and the sitting president are both under investigation. Yes. I mean, let's think about that That's for right. a second. There is no shortage of information to lead you to believe that this time is different and it'll be awful. And I think oftentimes those worries, which are perpetuated in our media, can really wreak havoc on the soul and really wreak havoc on your decision-making process and lead you to believe that your level of decision-making, whether it's conservative you know, I need to go really conservative today because the ball's about to drop or whatever it might be, isn't necessarily warranted or based in fact. Um, and I can only share with you uh, a few things that I hear oftentimes as really significant worries of people. I mean, they're, they come in, what's the purpose that you came in for today? Well, I really want to talk about these couple of things because I'm really worried about them. And they don't apply to like 99.9% of the people. Wow. For example, we've all heard horror stories about estate taxes. Mm -hmm. So estate taxes are different than income taxes. When you die and you pass your money to your heirs, you have the potential of having to pay different layers of taxes. One being, well, if I leave my 401k to my kids, well, they're going to have to take the money out of the 401k and that's going to be taxable income, ordinary income tax. Well, if I leave my house to my kids, I get a step up in basis, which means they probably won't owe any taxes. And I won't bore you with all the details of this stuff. But then there's something called a state tax. And and the story goes a lot like this that I always hear. I heard about this owner of a baseball team who owned the baseball team. And when he died, his family had to sell the team just to pay the estate taxes. Right. So I'm so worried that I've heard these stories of, you know, you end up paying 60, 70 percent in taxes, which for that particular individual, might absolutely be accurate. But know that a state tax, which can be as high as 45, let's just say at 50%, and then on top of that, you have to pay income tax, by the way. So this, I mean, you're not wrong. Yeah, it could be significant. terrible. It doesn't apply until you have a net worth of north of $13 million. And if you're married, it doesn't apply until you have a net worth of the combined total of two of those. So $26 million. Wow. Now, I'm not, I hope that everybody listening is worth $26 million mm-hmm. and good on you. I'm, I'm happy for you. But the vast majority of folks, it's not going to apply to. But these are concerns that people keep them up at night. How am I going to, you know, I've worked my whole life for all this money and it's all good. 70% of it's going to be taken by the government. Right? Yeah. It's one of those situations where you hear a situation and, um, because you have a little bit of knowledge, a little bit of knowledge is a dangerous thing. There's a reason why any cliche is a cliche, why it gets repeated a lot, is because in most cases there's uh, an element of truth to it, and a little bit of knowledge is a dangerous thing if you don't have the rest of the knowledge because that gives you a complete picture, and that's the advantage of having a fiduciary, someone who's legally obligated to do what's best for you, planning for your retirement. They are fiduciaries at Aptus. You can set up a free consultation with them to understand Things like estate taxes and other concerns in retirement, call their office, make your appointment, 614-917-1040, or make your appointment online, aptuswealth.com. Now, you interact with a lot of clients, and I'm sure that they have a lot of worries besides just estate tax. What are some other things that as people transition toward retirement, 
cause them concern, whether that concern is well-founded or not. Yeah, there's there's a bunch of them. And I think, you know, you and, and I'll talk about a couple in a second, but I think you hit the nail on the head where you said that a lot of people have all these worries because they have a little bit of information. Well, the problem with today is that we have a lot of bit of information, but our interpreter might be a little bit yeah. broken, yeah. right? Um, for example, you know, nobody trusts financial professionals anymore. And it used to be that everybody trusted their doctor. But regardless of what side you were on, on like the COVID vaccine, for example, and I don't want to get a long form sure. discussion on that, but regardless of which side of it you are on, we can all agree that the byproduct of COVID was that there is a lack of trust, at least amongst a large contingency of people in their doctors. Yes. So we have more information at our fingertips now than we've ever had, and we have less trust now than we've ever had. So then you correlate that back to the 24-hour news cycle, and there's no shortage of things to be terrified of. Yeah, because you can go online, and I could go there right now, and you and I have talked about this on the show before, where we could find 10 headlines, recession is imminent, it's going to be one of the worst ever, and find 10 headlines, soft landing, they pulled it off, no worries, everything's going to be fine. Yeah, and if I was going to draw a metaphor on finance to the medical profession since I use that, I remember about 10 years ago, I got some blood work done. And I did what everybody should not do. You know, if you want to tick somebody off at a craft store, say you Pinterested something and you need some stuff. Well, if you want to tick your doctor off, go, well, I saw the results and I WebMD'd it. Yeah, right? there you go. And I went in and I said, go ahead, hit me with it. Because what I Googled was I have Hodgkin's lymphoma, right? It turns out I had a cold, uh -huh. right? But so the same thing happens in finance. So we've already talked about estate planning. Let's talk about a couple of other things. Uh, one that I hear all the time, and this is controversial, is that. We all need to buy substantial amounts of gold or, yeah, or precious, precious metals. metals, right? And if you've stayed up past 10 o'clock on any night, you have seen infomercials for buy gold now uh, and buy food storage mm -hmm. because the end is near. Yep. And unfortunately, I want everybody to kind of think about this. Close your eyes and think about every single year for the last 20 years, you've seen those infomercials, right? That's right. Absolutely true. Okay. So in the last 20 years, how many times over the last 10 years, 20 years, has gold been the best investment for you to put your money in? And the answer is you might be able to pick a year, but you can't pick a 10-year stretch. You can't find one. Mm -hmm. It doesn't exist. Now, we could all pontificate on whether or not you know the U.S. debt is going to collapse us, et cetera, et cetera. But I assure you that if the U.S. economy collapses – in the cataclysmic way that is being pitched to you, think revelations, right? I yep. mean, it's it's the end of days. Yep. Do you really think that gold is going to save you? It's not going to save you. Gold is an investment just like any other investment. And unfortunately, it has been the single worst investment second only to the United States dollar over the last hundred years. You'd be better off buying real estate, better off buying bonds, better off buying stocks, anything you can put your mitts on. You'd be darn near better off buying uh, baseball cards than you would be wow. buying gold. So note that they're appealing to your emotional insecurities of an economic collapse, which I'm not belittling, but there are other ways that you should be able to satisfy your fears that are far more advantageous than just going and buying gold bullion and paying somebody $300 to store it for you with a $250 annual fee for the account and the people who are selling you the gold don't care about your financial security, nor do they care about the price of gold. What they do care about is they can make money selling you gold. Yeah. You know, as I assess that, it makes total sense, particularly given like I've got maybe a better window of understanding into how media 
works than other people do. Why do people advertise? Why would the gold companies be advertising on late night TV? Okay, because they know that that audience is going to be receptive to their message. I don't know an advertiser anywhere, an effective one, who's ever advertised in a forum, television, radio, podcast, whatever, where they're not reaching their target audience. They advertise to people who are predisposed to buy the product they're advertising. Why do you think they advertise beer on football games? Why do you think they advertise luxury cars for professional golf? Because, you know, most, if you belong to a country club, you're pretty well off financially. You might have the money to buy a luxury car. So you're watching that program. Then you see the ad, and then you start to buy into a mindset that is presented in that ad. So I would think a lot of what you do at Aptus, particularly when you're meeting with people for their free consultation, is getting them to understand that the things that they bring in, their preconceived notions, that little bit of knowledge that's a dangerous thing, why it's dangerous and why it may not fit the situation that they're in. You know, I think it's critical to display those myths without a couple ways. I mean, certainly don't make anybody feel stupid for believing them because there is validity in all of these. Well, and the people who are putting those messages out are really skilled at putting those messages out. There's nothing wrong with being intrigued by them or, or find them alluring because that's the work of another professional who's skilled in that area to get inside your head. Particularly infomercials that last for a long period of time. I mean, as you, as I, you and I sit here and talk today, we don't know what we're going to talk about. We're just right. having a conversation right. about finance. But if we took a tremendous amount of time and said, we're going to structure a 30-minute conversation steering people mm-hmm. towards one particular widget, we could do a very compelling argument to do that. And now insert, you know, some recent headlines and we have steered somebody in the direction that we want to take them and now get them when they're, you know, half asleep at 11 o'clock at night with a phone in their hand. And we might be able to get them to do some silly things. Yep. Um, And, you know, there's there's other things that people are worried about beyond just that. But we all know people that are just worried all the time. And unfortunately, that takes hold of them. I, I believe my job is to try to take as much guesswork and uncertainty out of retirement planning as possible, or let's not even use retirement planning. Let's use financial independence planning as Mm -hmm. possible. Because I think everybody that's listening universally can say the same thing, whether they love their job, hate their job, want to work forever, don't want to work forever. um, You know, maybe they never want to retire. Everybody wants to be in a position that if God forbid something happened to them, that they could not work, that they would not be living in a van down by the river, right? They want to be able to continue their lifestyle. Yeah, no doubt. And uh, that's why my wife and I gained great peace of mind from having Josh put together a blueprint for us, seeing how it tracks out with different levels of volatility, and we make the decision on which one we want to embrace. And there are many, many, many vehicles out there that you can have more risk with one, less risk than another. You are allowed, and I didn't even think of this going in, you are allowed to take a certain piece of your retirement investments, put them in a higher risk, per certain piece, put it in another. I hadn't really given it that kind of thought, which brings us to a topic that um, is certainly uh, often discussed around retirement, and that is diversification. Before we get to diversification, I wanted you to touch on another thing we hear a lot in the conversations around retirement today and around economy today, and that is the creation of a digital currency. Uh, the elimination of cash, the value of the U.S. dollar. Uh, I don't know. Those may be three completely different topics. It may be kind of one topic. 
people are hearing a lot about that. What can you tell them about that term uh, or those three terms as they are discussed in today's news? Yeah, I would think we're we're already very close to a digital currency economy. We just don't know it. Uh, I mean, if, if you and I reached into our pocket right now and combined all of the actual greenback cash mm-hmm. that we have, we might be able to buy a dinner. Yeah. I mean, how much cash do you really carry? You probably pay for everything with a debit or a credit card. Sure. Um, I would be willing to bet that most people that are listening uh, haven't written that many checks even in the last year. They're probably using a credit card or online banking. Yeah, Venmo, PayPal, something like that. There is not much different difference between that and a digital currency. But I think the fear that we have is that there will be some sort of uh, underlying negative consequence to the transition between the U.S. dollar and digital currency. So rewind the clock back to around 2008, 2009, and we heard the term Amero. This was, you know, you have the euro in Europe, which is where they took all the countries mm-hmm. in Europe, not all of them, but the majority of countries in Europe and said, rather than having all of these individual currencies where you're traveling the equivalent of like across the state line in the U.S. And now you have to, you know, have to convert your cash and do all this stuff. And there's a transition cost. Why don't we just use a universal currency so that we can be transient and buy stuff with equivalent dollars? Well, in the U.S., they were saying we're going to do the same thing with an Amero. And the Amero will be between Canada, the United States, and Mexico. And then it went, well, maybe it's just the United States. And the theory is, you know, the conspiracy theorists said what they're going to do is they're going to offer Ameros at a 10 or 20% discount, meaning that you're getting less Ameros per dollar, but they'll sell it to us with, this will eliminate so much illegal activity dollars, like drug dealers, mm-hmm. et cetera, that it'll actually be worth more, but it's a way that they can kind of reduce the U.S. deficit with a kind of built-in taxation. Now, I'm by no means suggesting that none of this could occur. I mean, all of these things that I'm talking about can occur. I mean, if we've learned one thing through uh, our time on the planet... It's that uh, the government can do some pretty tricky things, Mm -hmm. right, without us noticing it. But I I think the one thing that I hear oftentimes is that the the conversion from us to a digital currency is going to be cataclysmic. I mean, basically what you're going to do is the rich are going to get richer and everybody else is going to be poor and destitute. It's all going down. It's just not going to happen. I think it's important to note that the rich only get richer when the poor have enough money to buy their stuff. So they cannot eliminate the middle and the lower class. They can't do it. Uh, because it would be essentially eliminating themselves. And if you're listening to this saying, well, unless you got $70 billion and you're sitting on a mound of money on your own private island, um, those people aren't farming. Those people aren't uh, building their own Apple uh, iWatches. They're not doing any of that stuff. So we can't go down that path. And I think ultimately, sadly or positively, I don't know what it'll be. We're going to end up in a digital currency age. It's just a matter of time. Josh Pick, Bruce Hooley with you, the Aptus Retirement Blueprint Radio Show. Catch Josh with me every Monday, 12.35 p.m. on the Bruce Hooley Show for Money Monday. And then this show airs 7 p.m. Friday night. It'll re-air on Saturday at noon. Okay, so let's chat a little bit in the time we have left about diversification. And I know that has meant a lot of different things over a period of time. It used to mean you needed uh, 30 stocks and then mutual funds became a thing and now it's like is diversification like stocks and bonds and we can get into long involved discussions about number of stocks don't make you diverse it could be big companies small companies all this kind of stuff what's diversification mean now or is it different for every investor 
Well, I think the concept of diversification is a, is a pretty old one. I mean, if we rewind the clock back, there was a time when, again, everybody had those pensions and Social Security, and then they invested in a little bit of stock. They probably had some CDs at the bank, and maybe they were had a, a penchant for General Electric mm-hmm. or whatever it might be. So they went and bought a few shares of General Electric. Uh, then, you know, fast forward, and we started running into these crazy things like, you know, Enron and People got a little bit of trepidatious about maybe one stock isn't good enough, so we came, we created mutual funds. And mutual funds, for all intents and purposes, is no different than going and buying a place in Myrtle Beach where you say, I want two weeks a year, right? You're buying mm-hmm. a fractional ownership in all these stocks. And that allowed for smaller investments in a more diversified batch of stocks. So if you think about it, if one share of X company was 500 bucks and you only wanted to invest 500 bucks, how are you going to diversify? You can only afford one stock. So what they did is they said, we're going to create this basket of stocks via a mutual fund. And you can, you know, throw 50 bucks in and get a small percentage share of all these three, four, 500 stocks. And that's great. And that certainly uh, leveled out a lot of the volatility and it made it much more comfortable for people to invest at a smaller dollar amount. Investing properly was no longer a privilege only of the rich. Yeah. So all these things are good. Then fast forward and there's this guy named Markowitz won the Nobel Prize this year, who said, what's really important is not just that you have a bunch of different stocks to avoid the fallout of one going bankrupt, but there is a secret sauce in the allocation between different asset classes. And by asset classes, think of things ranging everywhere from corn to stocks that are big, small, and in the middle, to growth stocks, value stocks, to bonds, to all these different things. And the reason there was a secret sauce between them is something called correlation. If the bond, and it's funny that we talked about this in the first segment of the show, that it doesn't always work this way, but historically speaking, as the stock market suffers, people usually flock to safety. The government usually lowers interest rates, which makes bonds do well. So you have this environment where not everything is going down. One is kind of offsetting the other so that you can limit volatility without reducing return over time. But fast forward to today, and I think we've gotten uh, a little bit over our skis in what we believe diversification is. And I think there's a lot of misconceptions about it. For example, on a weekly basis, I will have somebody come into my office and say, I have 47 different mutual funds, so I'm diversified. Okay. Um, Fair. Uh, One mutual fund probably got you diversified. But what is the overlap amongst those mutual funds? Mm -hmm. If you own a thousand different mutual funds and they all own the same hundred stocks, (laughs) it's no different than owning one. Right. And and we see this a lot. Um, or uh, another one that I hear a lot is I'm diversified. I decided that rather than having one big IRA, I have 20 IRAs that add up to the one big one. Well, an IRA isn't a diversification tool. It's just an IRS tax code sure. line item that says this is the way it's going to be taxed. What's invested in it is more important. So you didn't really diversify anything. Or we'll hear this one. I want to get 17 different financial advisors so that I'm diversified amongst my financial advisors, which, by the way, depending on how much money you have, might not be a horrendous idea. I think 27 is a little exorbitant, but maybe you want to so that you have kind of a concert of um, ideas. The problem with that is they better be communicating clearly or one person might zig while the other person zags and they might not be comparative or... What if you go to one advisor and say, I want to be super conservative, and you go to the other one, you want to be super aggressive? Well, you're going to be really happy with one and really disappointed with the other one year and vice versa the next. Absolutely. That's not a fair assessment 
on where that you should be. So I think it's critical that while diversification is important, um, Charlie Munger and Warren Buffett talk about over-diversification all the time. Um, and I think Charlie Munger might be a little bit too extreme in the non-diversification category, who's Warren Buffett's right-hand man. He owns two stocks, uh, one being Berkshire Hathaway, which wow. is like owning a well, mutual fund, by good. the way. Yeah, he's pretty yeah. good there. Uh, and he's also worth you know $20 billion. So you have uh, it affords you certain <laughs> opportunities. Uh, but I think the critical part is your fear, which is making you diversify, is the fear of making poor decisions due to lack of information. If we're being honest with ourselves. Yeah, no, that's absolutely true. The fear is my intuition in picking this particular advisor, maybe I was wrong, maybe he's a crook, so now I'm diversifying amongst advisors. My fear is maybe, what if Fidelity goes out of business? Well, I'll put some at Fidelity and some at Schwab. Are those founded fears or are they just irrational fears? And I think in my estimation, most of them are irrational. But until you have the information to know the difference... You just do irrational things. I mean, that's just what we do, right? I mean, if you don't, if you think that the sky is going to fall uh, or you think it's going to rain every day, you carry an umbrella, but it's not going to rain every day. The key word in that to me is information. And when you have a fiduciary or a financial planner, and Josh and the Aptis wealth management team are fiduciaries legally required to do what's best for you, they can give you the information that will enlarge your understanding of these terms that we hear and we think, okay, I want that. I want diversification. You know, I want no volatility. I want this. I want that. Set up your free consultation, 614-917-1040, aptuswealth.com, A-P-T-U-S, aptuswealth.com. The airing of this program by this station is not an endorsement or recommendation by the station of the products or services discussed in the program. The station does not guarantee the results of any investments made by a listener to this program. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.